Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. I grew up, or I spent my formative years as a young man in a church that had a very strong 12-step ministry called Celebrate Recovery. It's an amazing ministry, and we would have people share And they would begin with, hello, my name is, whatever their name was, and I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a, whatever their issue was, and I loved it. Because it's like, we just went there in the first sentence, and we're all like, ah, honesty, thank you. So today, I want to begin in a similar way. Hello, my name is Chris Kipp, and I'm broken. It's only by God's grace that I can stand before you today. I'm a muddled mix of of godly desires and passions and big dreams and a sincere desire for Jesus and for his kingdom. I want so much to be used by God to help you encounter Jesus, to see his church flourish. I sincerely believe that you can change the world. However, I also carry fears, insecurities, failures, sinful tendencies, anger, selfish ambition, and I have moments of worry and anxiety. Aren't you glad you came today? When Paul calls himself the chief of sinners to the people that he's leading, I know what he means. And I wish, I wish that becoming a Christian would just make all those things magically erased from my life. But the reality is that it doesn't work quite like that. I'm going to make a wild guess that you're broken too. Like me, you're probably a mix of good desires and good intentions and some measure of godliness, and you also have your own set of struggles and sins and insecurities and fears and worries and more. And also like me, you probably don't like those parts of your life. You don't want to be broken, If you feel especially broken, good news, you're not alone. Welcome to the dysfunctional club. (laughs) I know it's really easy in the age of social media to feel like you're all alone in your brokenness because everyone else seems to be having a generally good time. They seem a bit more put together, a bit more confident, a bit more satisfied in life, a bit stronger, happier, more in control, or in the know, at least when you look at their posts on social media. But on the other side of their screen, I can guarantee you, they're just as broken as you are and as I am. I uh, found some 
uh, some research information this week I want to show you. This is from uh, Dr. Jean Twinge from the University of San Diego, and she has noticed some startling trends when it comes to our young people, uh, and it comes to our collective brokenness as a society. Uh, from 2012 to 2019, life satisfaction amongst teens and young adults took a major, I mean major nosedive. Like they, they track these things from the 70s on to now and it's like when it comes to life satisfaction, there's just this boom, a drop. At the same time, other mental health issues have skyrocketed. Um, this is a a graph showing, and you can see the increases in depression, self-harm, and suicide amongst U.S. adolescents. And just look at the climb from 2012. You probably can't see that number very well, but where it goes up is 2012, okay? It begins way back at 2001. So obviously there are things that they track, and it can be, uh, you know, uh, the economy. It can be you know, wars, it could be uh, all kinds of things, air quality that they, that they survey, and this survey is across the entire nation, so it's, it's not just like pockets in one demographic, it's like the entire country just went up. There's a line that's suicide, another line that says self-poisoning, a major depressive episode, or depressive symptoms. And everything went up. She says, large screening studies, the most nationally representative of the U.S., um, samples of adolescents and young adults since 2010 have shown declines in happiness, life satisfaction, and flourishing, and increases in loneliness, anxiety, depressive symptoms, major depressive episodes, hospital admissions for self-harm behaviors, suicidal ideation, and suicide attempts via poisoning and other types of uh, self-harm. Uh, there's another graph, if you want to put that up for us, that uh, shows the increases in depression and low well-being and links to social media and smartphone use. So you can kind of see hours of daily use of your smartphone and of social media, and you can see how depression and low well-being just like, boom. Now, this is not an anti-technology sermon. That's not the point. I'm not trying to say, like, it's all Facebook's fault. What I am saying is I think that the technologies that we have today are exploiting our collective brokenness. It's revealing something that was already there. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, we didn't use terms like depressed, anxiety, bipolar. We didn't know what that meant, okay? You were more likely in my era to get shot by a gang member than you were to like have a suicide attempt. But that has totally changed. Right now, our youngest generation is the safest generation we've ever had. They're less likely to get injured on a bicycle than any other generation we've ever had. And yet they are showing these signs of like, we are majorly in trouble. Researchers are sounding the alarm that our collective brokenness 
is reaching epidemic proportions. Maybe there's a reason Steve Jobs didn't let his kids have an iPad. (laughs) And I'm just gonna make a wild guess that a global pandemic and economic uncertainty and lockdowns that resulted in more screen time probably haven't helped our scenario at all. When Casey and I lived in Wimberley, we had these uh, bamboo plants in our flower beds. And uh, this was supposed to be a variety that stayed in place. If you know bamboo, it grows and it just grows like crazy and it goes everywhere. We got this kind that was gonna grow in one place and it's supposed to stay there. Well, you can kind of guess how that went. Um, As time went on and the plants got larger, the roots went deeper and then all of a sudden I'm seeing these shoots of bamboo like come out in the middle of the yard. And so I'm like, oh, you know, I kept mowing over them. If you have weeds, you just mow over. Like it's the fastest way to deal with weeds. It's just literally just mow it over and you don't have to look at it for like a week, okay? So I'm mowing it over and yet it just keeps growing back and it's growing more and they're getting thick. And so I have to get the garden shears and cut the plants. And I get so frustrated that one day I'm like, you know what? We're getting rid of bamboo. I'm on a vendetta against bamboo. All bamboo must die. And so what I do is I go with my garden shears and I cut off every stalk of bamboo in my flower beds, which was a lot. And guess what? It came right back. So I did some research, right? And what I discovered is I had to pour high concentrated weed killer into the stock within three seconds of cutting the shoot. Because inside of a bamboo plant, there's sort of like an, an intelligence that there's a gum in that, in that shoot that, that begins to drop as soon as it is cut and it, it, it tells the roots to grow elsewhere. And so I'd have to pour this highly concentrated poison into like as soon as I cut it so that it would be carried down to the roots. It was a much slower process, a more intentional process to deal with the roots of the plant, but it was the only thing that worked. Today, we're starting a new series called Soul Care. It's a series that's about our brokenness. My brokenness, your brokenness, our collective brokenness. We have a problem and it's only getting worse. I think it's deeper than cutting off the stocks of technology and social media and stressful situations in life. It's going to take a slower process, a more intentional process to deal with the roots in our souls. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that God has given us powerful, life-transforming medicine in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And last I checked, to the, Jesus has still come to bring good news to the poor, to release the captives, to heal the brokenhearted, and to comfort those who mourn to lift human souls from the ashes. And it's my conviction, and it's my experience, that the truths that we're going to delve into together will rescue our souls. And if you're frustrated with your frustration, 
if you're tired of your emotions coming out sideways, if you're angry about your anger, sick of sitting on the sidelines of passivity and withdrawal, if you're fed up with your dysfunction and you're ready for fresh hope, if you're looking for a way out from your addictions or your loneliness or your fear and your worry and anxiety, then I believe this is for you. It's, it's for us. And I want to encourage you to lean in with us. So what is soul care? Let's talk about what that term means. Uh, some of you, have y'all heard the term self-care? Self-care? That's where you go and you get a massage, right? You take a day off, you get a mani-pedi, ladies, right? You're like, self-care day, right? Mental well-being, I'm going to go get a mani-pedi today. I'm going to go get a massage. I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to go spend some time doing stuff that I love to do, my favorite hobbies, right? There's, that's what we think of when we think of self-care. It's, it's about getting a better work-life balance and eating better and exercising and all the stuff we're supposed to do, right? Soul care is a little bit different. And I think for us as Christians, we're a little leery of anything that has the word self in it, right? Because if you've been around the church long enough, you're like, ah, you know, I'm not supposed to be self-centered and all that kind of stuff. And so like when you, you know, self-care is like, I'm not uncomfortable with self-care. So um, what's the difference between self-care and soul care? Well, soul care is different in that it's truly liberating, because when you take a day off, and then your great revelation on your day off is that I need more days off. You know what I'm saying? When you leave the massage place and you're like, I should do this all the time. It's like you, you, you kind of just have to keep taking more of the stuff rather than like dealing with what might be causing all the stress and the worry and the things of our life. Soul care is a truly liberating, Christ-centered process of applying God's truth to the deepest parts of our souls. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your, y'all know the word? Your mind. Soul care involves the self because it's your mind that needs to be renewed but it's Christ-centered because the renewing happens through the word and the power and the truth of Jesus. It's pouring highly concentrated gospel down the stalks of brokenness in our souls. Today, we're gonna be in Genesis chapter three. If you have a copy of scripture, I wanna invite you to turn there with me. And we're gonna begin in the beginning. This is the beginning of the Bible. Genesis means origin. This is the origin story of mankind. And um, the message today is entitled, Why Are We Also Broken? It's important for us to understand the origin of our brokenness because if we misunderstand the origin, we'll misunderstand the solution. And if we misdiagnose the problem, we'll take the wrong medicine. So, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Here we go. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, he will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, if if you're new to the Bible, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. talking snakes, like what's up with that? And like, are we just going to skip over that part? Okay, let's talk about the serpent. Uh, Clearly, some things were different in the beginning in the garden than they are right now. If I had a animal come up to me and start talking, I would run away fast, right? Okay, so things were different. But we know that Satan, or the serpent is an embodiment of Satan. In, in the book of Revelation 12, verses 9, it says, So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. Some of you are also thinking, okay, like Genesis is like an allegory. It's a story. It's not real because Darwin said we all evolved from something else. Right? We all came from monkeys, apparently. Well, let's think about that for a minute. When questioned about divorce, Jesus responds by referring these, the, the people that are questioning him to the story of creation of a man and woman. God created the male and female. So, if Jesus who proved his divinity by raising from the dead, references a story from creation to say, this is reliable for you, then we need to pay attention. Does that make sense? He's closer to us in the historical timeline. 2,000 years ago, we have his writings preserved for us, and he's pointing to something that was way beyond that, and he says, look, You need to remember that this is reliable. God created you, male and female, that we're his image bearers. We're not cosmic accidents as our uh, current popular worldview would make us think, that there's, there's a reason why God created us. And it also means, which is the first thing that I want us to understand, is that all of our brokenness can be traced back to man's broken relationship with God. All of it, all of our brokenness can be traced back to this one moment in Genesis chapter three. Let's just kind of look at what happens in the passage. The serpent asked the the question, uh, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now that's a suggestive question because God said you can eat from any tree in the garden except for that one. Maybe you've, you've heard the temptation this way. You mean you can't have any fun in your life as a Christian? 
What a boring life. You can't eat from any tree. And Eve repeats loosely the command that God had given to Adam. God gave Adam the command, and then he creates Eve later, puts them in a garden, and then Adam must have communicated the, com- the command, but wives, you know that husbands can never tell you what happened exactly. Hello? Right? You ask your husband, hey, how'd your meeting go today? What'd y'all talk about? He's like, uh, but I don't know. You know, we said something like this. And then later you hear from maybe someone else's wife. It's like, no, that's not what they talked about. They said da-da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, <clears throat> so apparently that's what happened at the very beginning too. Okay, it's been happening from the start. Adam adds a little part, don't even touch it, which is actually not in God's original command. God just said, don't eat from that fruit. And the story reveals to us the most basic definition of sin. I I mean, you probably already see it or recognize it. It's doing something that God says not to do. Or conversely, doing something that God said, or not doing something that God says to do. So do eat from any tree, except for that one. Don't eat from that tree or you'll die. And of course, even when we had one rule as human beings, we just had to break it. (laughs) The story also shows us that sin has consequences The first consequence, by the way, was not getting thrown out of a garden. The first consequence of sin was self-consciousness. It makes them want to hide themselves from each other and from God. And it's fascinating to me because they didn't just go throughout their day like we ate the fruit. Oh, that was, that was interesting. That was good. I enjoyed that. Great. Cool. And then like later on in the day, like God comes is like, did you eat the fruit? And they're like, oh, we did. Right. And then, then their eyes are open. No, no, no. It happens immediately. Their eyes are opened, but not like the serpent promised them. The location hasn't changed. They're still in Eden. Their physical provision hasn't changed yet. They still have all the trees of the garden to eat from. Uh, Their bodies haven't changed. But something changes immediately. Something on the level of the soul. Your soul is often referred to as the mind and the will and the emotions. The mind, will, and the emotions. It's the immaterial part of us. We are embodied souls. This this is an earth suit that I'm wearing right now, but what's animating my mouth and my movements and my, my facial expressions is my inner being. And when you pass away, your body empties. If you've ever seen someone who's passed away, their soul Leaves. It's the part that leaves when you die, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And these people who lived perfectly at peace with one another, with God, with creation, uh, talking snakes were not like a big deal to them, and within them, uh, their own selves, okay? They're now experiencing separation disunity, 
in shame. The ones who had no insecurities. Can you imagine never ever having an insecurity about anything ever in your life before? That was their existence. The ones who had never experienced that are now immediately filled with insecurities. Like, whoa, I'm naked. (laughs) And they're fashioning fig leaves together. The ones who had no fear or anxiety about anything. They never worried for anything, ever. Are soon cowering and hiding among the trees because they are afraid of God. They're experiencing brokenness of the soul. And ever since that moment, that ancient moment, every single one of us, none of us are exempt from this. We've been haunted by the sense that something is missing or wrong or broken. And Paul says, hey, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning we're, we're all in this together. And in Isaiah 59 two, he says, your iniquities are separating you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. He's, he's telling us that our sins do something to us and not just something kind of like with God and in, in this sort of like ethereal, spiritual way, but it literally breaks something down in us. It's a disintegrating factor of the human soul. As we read on, the Lord hands down the curses, the very things that plague us today, and he drives them out of Eden, closing them off from his presence. And we lost so much more than our address in that moment. The second thing that I want us to understand is that the greatest deception is that you can have significance apart from God. It's the greatest deception. And that's what we see in the story. Satan, he... he, he issues a direct challenge to God's word. He says, no, you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The message, the suggestion is that there's something even better than what you have right now. God doesn't really want you to have it. But the tree's right there. You can take it for yourself. Um, I think it's the very same deception that each one of us face today. When it comes to God's plan for marriage or for sexuality. And everyone's like, that's super archaic and old-fashioned. I mean, name one mainstream movie, television show that depicted God's plan for marriage, dating, sexuality in a positive light in the last 40 years. Wind Calls the Heart. That's the only one, right? Any heart fans out there? Hearties? Wow. That's next week's sermon. We're just going to watch a couple episodes together. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. I'm just kidding. It's that idea, you know, the reason why so many people get divorced is because they don't sleep together first and live together first. Don't we all feel that? Like that's the message. It's like God's plan for sexuality. It's like he doesn't know what he's talking about. There's something so much better that you could have. Think of all the great experiences you could have, the great relationships you could have. 
And most of you probably know that that doesn't result in love, joy, peace. It results in pain, heartbreak, soul ties, things that we just, we wound up realizing we, we bought into a lie and it didn't work out for us. It's like God's command to live a self-controlled life is so boring. Eat and drink whatever you want. Everyone's doing it. God's command to be truthful. It's just gonna get you into needless trouble. Don't tell the whole truth. You can leave out that part. Just lie about it and move on. Lots of people do it. We, we have this suggestion constantly that there's, there's something better that you could have apart from God and his ways. He suggests to them that there's goodness to be had. And laced within it, there's an appeal to significance. You'll be like him, meaning do it, take it. You could have it all. You could be so much more. You could have even greater significance. And Eve believed she was doing something good for herself. And I think that's important to understand. When you're deceived, you don't know that you're deceived. Otherwise, you wouldn't be deceived. Right? Does that make sense? She thinks she's doing something good. It seems right at the moment. <laughs> oh, and Adam's right there with her. And that seed of doubt about God's goodness and God's truth and sin's badness, it, it grows into this disobedience and then we have Adam and Eve fallen now from God the souls disintegrate there's this deception that they can have significance apart from God and this is important all of our brokenness is a mixture of stuff that happened to us and things that we did just like them there was no like a uh, alert on their cell phone that, that, that day that's like, hey, snake in the garden, watch out. Con artist going from door to door, be careful. And if you've ever been scammed or conned before, you know what a victimizing feeling that is to have something happen to you like that. And here they are, this happens to them, and yet they're also perpetrators and that they do the very thing that God said not to do. And friends, our brokenness is the same way. And the irony is that when Adam and Eve had everything, they were deceived into believing that they lacked something. And in doing so, they broke God's command. And in believing that they lacked something, they wound up losing everything. They bought the lie that they lacked something significant. And by sinning, they actually lost their own sense of significance. When their relationship with the worthy one who created them was severed, they lost their sense of self-worth. And soul care is the process of regaining, in light of Jesus and his truth, our sense of worth, value, and significance. This great deception has left a great chasm. The third thing. Our brokenness stems from how we filled the gaps after the fall. 
I found this quote from Blaise Pascal. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not, there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since his infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. A great chasm, a, a soul emptiness, and I was just fascinated by the word sowed. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. When I've thought about the story of Adam and Eve, I just picture them being like, oh, I'm naked, fig leaf, right? But it says that they sowed fig leaves together, which to me, it, it tells us that there was sort of an intentional, thoughtful process of like, how would I cover this thing up? They sowed fig leaves, which, by the way, are not the most comfortable of things, okay? If you've ever seen a fig leaf, it's kind of a prickly thing. It would not be comfortable to cover the parts of your body that you're trying to cover when you are realizing you're naked, okay? The second thing is that it's, it's makeshift clothing and that it's not, it's not um, really adequate, Okay? And it's not durable. I mean, one little snag, right? One little snag of your fig leaf thing that you sewed together and boom, there you are, okay? It's not durable. And doesn't that describe all the ways that we try to cover the brokenness of our souls? Because when you have no sense of significance, as a beloved, created child of God, you're going to go looking for it somewhere else. And our fig leaves come in all shapes and sizes. Some are shaped like romantic relationships. Some are shaped like success and fitness or the right friends. Some fig leaves show up when you walk into a new room with new people and you act just a little bit different than usual. Some fig leaves come in shopping bags. Some fig leaves are shaped like screens that you numb out on or like sleeping in or checking out because you're tired of the fig leaf game. Some fig leaves come in bottles and in pill bottles. Some fig leaves look like being a really good Christian. Have you ever been there before? Where you, you're in a church and like nobody can talk about their brokenness because if we do, we're all gonna be like, like cancel that meeting with them. Like let's go hang out with all the safe people that aren't broken. It's like, wait a minute, we're all broken. I've been in churches where it was like people were hiding behind Bible studies. We're like, let's skip the whole telling your story part and let's just go to James chapter one and like, no, 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 no. James chapter one has to get into my story before it changes me. Some fig leaves look like intentionally being a, a bad Christian. Some fig leaves are shaped like mirrors. Some fig leaves are carefully sewn together with posts and images. 
Some are shaped like houses and cars and status symbols. Some fig leaves are shaped like angry outbursts because somebody in some way pointed out our insignificance. Some fig leaves will make you agree with people that you don't really agree with or like people that you don't really like. Some fig leaves are shaped like not liking anyone at all. Some fig leaves are shaped like being the perfect mom or dad. Some are shaped like education and intelligence or charisma. We are creative fig leaf seamstresses. And how I sew my fig leaf affects you. And how you sew your fig leaf affects me. And it gets really complicated. What we badly want, what we really need, is to be valued, to be loved, to be approved, accepted. Our fig leaves may work until they don't. And then all the ugly stuff comes out of us. Our original habitat was the perfect love of a perfect father who embraced and welcomed and accepted. And since then, we've been left with our fig leaves. We have fig leaf failure. The question is, what do we do when they fail? Because they're going to. I want to close with this thought. There's a profound moment, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, in John chapter 5, where Jesus, um, he sees this man by a pool of, that was the pool of Bethesda, was surrounded by these five colonnades, and all the invalids would come there because there was this pool of water, and the legend was that an angel would come and stir the water. It's like the Jesus jacuzzi, right, was there. And the first person in the water was healed. That's the legend. We don't know if that's what happened. And there's this man who's sitting amongst all these people who are broken in their bodies. And Jesus sees the man and it says he recognized that he'd been there a long time. The passage tells us he'd been that way for 38 years and I don't know the life expectancy of a man back then but I'm guessing it was probably in the 40s somewhere. So this was like his entire life. All he's known is brokenness. Hello? And Jesus... Uh, he approaches the man and he asks a really intriguing question. Do you know the question? He asked the man, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Which seems like a really obvious answer to me. I'm sitting here at a pool that offers healing and I'm trying to get there. And so, yeah, I want to be healed. And I just wonder if Jesus is provoking something deeper in the man when he asks, do you want to get well? Perhaps something on the soul level. Because I'm just imagining after 38 years of only knowing brokenness, brokenness equals reality. This is just life. And I'm thinking about us as people. I don't know how old you are, but you've 
whole life has been marked by a particular kind of brokenness. And when you think that that's reality, then that's just reality for you. You never lift your eyes a little higher than what you have known. Do you want to get well? The man says, I have no one to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up, but when I'm coming, someone else always goes down in front of me. You ever feel that way with your brokenness? Someone else is already getting the, the thing that I was trying to get to and the blessing and all that stuff that I wanted. It's like someone else is getting that. Not me. I'm still over here. And in the fig leaf game, it's a race for everyone. So no one helps anyone because we're all trying to like, you know, get to the pool first. And when the man has his heart set on the pool, Jesus has his heart set on the man. The man was looking to get in the pool. His heart was set on the pool. And I don't know what brand of brokenness you bear, but I'm guessing there are some things that I listed that maybe resonate with you and you're like, man, I want that. I, I, I aspire to that. I, I, I want to do that. I want to have that. I want to be known for that. I, you have your own pool. And when the man is stuck at the pool in his brokenness, surrounded by a bunch of other broken people at the same pool, all trying to get into the same pool, he has his heart set on the man. And he heals the man and he says, pick up your mat and walk. Now imagine 38 years of inching your mat just a little bit closer. Oh, Tom got healed today. I'm going to get Tom's spot. Right? Just moving closer and closer to the place you're trying to get to, inch by inch. And Jesus comes in and says, I know you've been spending your whole life working your way closer to the pool, but I actually want to, I want to tell you to take up your mat and leave the pool now. Pick up your mat and walk, meaning you can leave the pool now. Do you hear that from the heart of God? That Jesus left the right hand of the Father to bear your sins upon himself and to demonstrate, I love you. I accept you. I've done this all for you. Would you be willing to leave the pool? Get up, walk, be healed, broken souls. And the question for us is, do we want to get well? Do you want to get well? Well, I'm doing fine, Chris. All good here. Really? Like step one of the 12 steps, we admit that we have a problem and we're powerless to change it. Just like a man trying to scoot himself towards a pool because his body's broken. Powerless. So I just want to encourage you today to think about the question. Maybe this week, do I want to get well? And that should follow with, Lord, how am I sick? You can ask the Holy Spirit that. Lord, you, you make people well. How am I sick, God? 
because I may not be fully aware of how sick I am. I also want to encourage you to commit to joining us because we're going to be walking through some truths that I believe will absolutely liberate you over these next weeks. And I want to encourage you to be a part of this with us. If you have to be out for a week or whatever, you can find us online. We have a podcast. By the way, our podcast crossed the 10,000 downloads mark this uh, past week. So that's really, really exciting. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's awesome to see like God's word going out. And so you can... Um, you can find us on there. And what I want to say, this is vision for us as a church. Let's be the kind of church where it's perfectly normal and accepted for someone to say, hello, I'm broken. Let's be people of radical acceptance who say, me too. <laughs> We, we don't have to hide behind our Bibles like, oh, we're doing fine today. No, 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 come out. Because we're, we're all coming out from our hiding places into the light of God. And Jesus has come to us in our brokenness. He's come for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.